Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. When I was in high school, I didn't have internet. So I learned how to program without the internet. I had a visual basic book. I actually still have it. It's on my bookshelf. Like it's a memorabilia item. My name is Esprit Devora, host of the Women in Tech show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create the Women in Tech show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. Hi, this is Joe Peterson. I'm the Vice President of Cloud and Security with Clarify 360. I've been listening to the Women in Tech podcast for about a year, and I was drawn in by the energy and enthusiasm of the Women in Tech podcast. Esprit does a really great job in sharing stories of women in tech so that young female listeners can put themselves in the shoes of these women speaking. See, I strongly believe that if we don't show young women the way forward in tech by sharing our stories, then they won't know what's possible. The stories are what creates the value and inspiration. Great job, guys. If you too want to connect and collaborate with more incredible women in tech, remember you can go to the Women in Tech Facebook group at womenintechvip.com. That's womenintechvip.com. The best business resource I have is my mentor's private Facebook group. I've never found a community that cares more about one another's success. It inspired me to create the same thing for podcasters. If you're a tech company or startup looking to grow your podcast audience, I created GetPodcastListeners.com, a private group specifically to discover how other podcasters have grown their audiences so we could do the same. Check out GetPodcastListeners.com. That's GetPodcastListeners.com. To stay healthy and have a strong mindset, a few friends and I decided in order to be focused on opportunity, um, we would create a private IG group and we call it Abundance VIP. And we just share abundant things that have happened, opportunities that happened. I mean, even one of my friends shared how he found an officiant for his wedding, which was really cool. What are you doing to stay healthy minded? Um, I think it's important with so much going on in our world right now, um, physical stress or like mental anguish leads to physical stress and then we end up getting sick. And the last thing we want is to lower our immune systems when, you know, we're going through what we're going through globally. So what are some of the things that you're doing to keep yourself with having a healthy mind? I so appreciate my friends for putting this together and not thinking it was a complete weirdo in doing that. But uh, yeah, it's been great. All right. Enjoy the next episode. Welcome back to the Women in Tech podcast, celebrating women in tech around the world. So excited for our next guest coming at us from Austin, Texas. Welcome, Maya. Hey, I'm happy to be here. Maya, I'm so excited to get into it. To kick things off, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Uh, so as you said, like my name is Maya. I'm a software engineer working at Indeed.com. 
Um, most people can find me on Twitter, GitHub, social media, the works, uh, handles MJ Pitts pretty much everywhere. And can you spell it for us just in case? Yeah, so last name is Pitzrus, P as in Peter, I-T-Z-E-R-U-S-E, first name M-Y-A. So walk us through your journey. When did you first realize that you had an interest in technology? Oh, gosh. Uh, I started getting into tech when I was a kid. Uh, I got in trouble for taking apart an old printer and VCR and all sorts of different things. And then in high school, started latching into programming. So that's when I got into things like Visual Basic, HTML, JavaScript, CSS, uh, a lot of what I guess you would consider front end today, which is really funny because the these days, I work more on infrastructure and backend code more than anything else. What about that world of coding was the right fit for you? I know that I took myself took Python classes at one point, and I'm like, yeah, no. So when you experienced that world, like, what made what made it click? You're like, yes, this is a world for me. Oh, that is such a good question. Um, the biggest thing was probably the kind of immediate gratification of like seeing other people kind of have fun with some of the stuff that I made. One of the most memorable things I had from high school was I wrote a Scrabble game my sophomore year um, in Visual Basic. So you got to package a EXE file and then share it around. And I sent it to one of my friends. And then my senior year, two years later, I caught one of my classmates playing the game on a computer. That's so cool. And I looked at him just like, holy cow, like, I can't believe that survived this long. It's literally been two years. And he's like, yeah, I got it off the ACAD certification room class uh, machines because they don't wipe them every year. And like, go go open the author tab. And sure enough, there's my name. <laughs> and he's like, sitting here's like, no way, this is not not even possible. So that's so cool. That is so cool. And like when when you were a kid, were a lot of people I mean, getting started in high school, that's early. So were there a lot of kids in your class that also were interested in code? Or were you one of the few? Uh, it was me and like one other person that I could think of in particular, we were kind of the leads of the class, like my teacher was learning a lot of visual basic as we went along. So it was like she was learning and then we were learning from her. And then at one point, I remember my friend and I like just taking off and like not really following along in class anymore, finish a project ahead of schedule, you name it. Um, and that's how kind of a lot of the programming classes in my high school were where it was like my teacher was literally learning along with us. And then like, it was just fun to see. So and now are you from Austin originally? No, I'm from Syracuse, New York, small little, I guess like Syracuse itself isn't that big but I'm more outside of the outside the city. And when did you move to Austin? 2013. So almost seven, seven years now. So oh, a while ago, because I was going to ask, I want to talk about like transitioning from high school and pursuing technology as a career, um, how you did that after. But also I know about Austin that it has an amazing startup and tech community. So I kind of want to dive there for a second. How has the culture of Austin tech helped support you as you accelerate in your career? In so many ways. I, I think the story of like how I got to Austin is really fun and interesting. I'd love to hear it. Go uh, for it. I guess to answer your first question about kind of the culture of Austin, it's great. Like you meet a lot of people with a very entrepreneurial mindset. And so you've got kind of a lot of people you can bounce ideas off of. And then sure enough, like you'll find you, it's, it's also very small, like as weird as it sounds like when I, I know that in the last seven years, it's grown a lot. And it's still nowhere near the size of places like Seattle or San Francisco, but still like a pretty dense tech hub and always surprised by like the number of people I'm meeting in tech, what kind of projects they're working on. And, uh, you know, they have new buildings coming up every now and then that's like some new company. 
So in terms of how I got to Austin, I went to school at the Rochester Institute of Technology, uh, majored in software engineering, had internships throughout my entire career there. So going on co-ops and um, having job experience before I graduated. I worked at places like IBM, uh, actually on campus doing video stream processing. Sorry, how did you find those internships? Were they on bulletin boards? Was there a website? What was the resource you accessed to discover those? So for IBM, it was a career fair. For the on-campus bit, it was actually a job that I was holding during my time at school. So I had a part-time job working for the National Technical Institute for the Deaf. And at the time, things like YouTube weren't really uh, big. They were just kind of like getting started and getting popular. There wasn't a concept of like private channels or private video hosting or anything like that. So we were building our own video hosting platform at school. And so that was kind of like a fun expedition. And uh, that was both part-time job and internship. And then one of my internships, we actually have a program called the Summer Startup Program. And what it more or less does is gives students an opportunity to kind of go and start their own company. Oh, cool. Yeah. So they give you a lot of mentorship. They kind of go through this standard business pitch of like, give us an idea, tell us how you plan to make money. And then we kind of over the course of the summer, we'll help you grow that idea. So I pitched a resume development tool with a bunch of my friends and I, and sure enough, we got accepted in. We started building this all out over the summer, had something built over by the by the end of it and started having, I think in the course of a couple of months, we were up to several thousand users. And then it being my senior year, I started looking full time. And one of my friends, Torin, uh, had came up to me. He's like, hey, there's this company Indeed.com you should really go and talk to. Like you would really hit it off with them because, you know, granted, we were working on a resume startup and Indeed is all job seeker focused, right? So how do you find jobs? How do you do all of that? I mean, I can't believe you had a couple thousand users. That's crazy. Yeah, it went quick and like socializing it on campus isn't too bad because, you know, when you talk about RIT student Bobby, body, I forget what it was at the time was a couple like 20, right. 30,000. And yeah, you get some advertisement going in the halls and it takes off pretty quickly. Um, anyway, so yeah, it, it got up there pretty quick. And then we started looking full time. I One of my friends went and worked at Apple and had kind of this non-compete. So he couldn't really continue the project anymore. And I had gotten a job with Indeed and kind of when it was able to kind of continue working on a lot of what our project's mission was, which was to help job seekers kind of at this different company where they hold the mantra of we help people find jobs. So So it was in alignment. But did you did you want to be leaving your startup? Was that a choice you felt that you were making? Or was it was the point of your startup never really to be like a full blown ongoing thing? Or does it maybe it still exists? And I'm making assumptions I shouldn't make. (laughs) I wish I could say it still exists. Some of the code is still up on like Bitbucket and whatnot, but I'm not going to go and like dig that up. (laughs) The intent was always to monetize it, but we had trouble monetizing it because similar to Indeed, we didn't want to charge job seekers any money. Like job seekers, like if they're looking for a job, odds are either they're not thrilled with the one that they're at today or they're out of one and really need one. And the last thing you want to be doing is charging somebody that's like out of a job money, right? For a service that's supposed to help them find that. So we had trouble monetizing it and we couldn't really twist it into a way where we could feel like it was a good shift in the product. And so we sunset it. Um, Like I said, I didn't want to be the only contributor and both my friends were often working on their own companies. So this kind of felt like a natural end to it. My mom still sends me messages back and she's like, God, I wish it was still up. Oh, that's amazing. 
Yay, mom. Maybe if I find time to sit down and like relearn front end development, right? Because like front end development back when we wrote that project was a lot of like jQuery and jQuery UI components all glued together on the front end. These days it's like, oh, do you go view or react? And the world is just so much more complex than it ever used to be. And like, that's just like a whole nother skill set that I'm not ready to learn quite yet. So it's like the more simple we get, the more complicated we get. The easier we make it, the harder it actually becomes, right? Like completely, like a hundred percent. And so, okay, so you take a, a job with Indeed, and where was your journey there? Are you in the same role that you started in, uh, or if you have transitioned to a different role, like uh, what have been the different roles? Yeah, so I got a job with Indeed right out of college, right? So 2013, moved to Austin, join Indeed. Engineering then was tiny, like small, small. Like these days, like the company we. We have four, five tech offices in Austin alone. Then we have Seattle, San Francisco, a whole bunch of other locations. But when I joined, it was just Austin. It was just this small little office off the edge of 360 Loop. I remember like early in the time there, the floors were open enough where the team that was implementing our SMB product on a Friday was able to like take the afternoon to have a laser tag game around the office, right? Like it was empty enough where we could just take half the floor and just go and play laser tag. So it was, it, it, it really has like a lot of those like small company days in it. You probably feel really nostalgic over the company, I would imagine. A little bit. So when I had joined, I joined as a, what I would call SWE1 or, or what we kind of call SWE1 today. So an entry level software engineer, usually doing a lot of individual contributor type work. These days I'm a principal engineer and I spend less time doing like hands-on coding in the trenches and more kind of general problem analysis and figuring out like where are the problems that we actually need to solve. What would you say you love most about your job? The work is always different, even though I work in infrastructure and it's just like, oh, like it must just all be machines and things like it's like, no, it's just never a dull day. You learn about some things. And we have like a kind of like a top list of employees that have been there the longest. And you can see like what percentile you are in, in relation to the employees. And one of my friends that has actually been at Indeed for the last seven years, I, I took a small hiatus. We'll, we'll circle back to that, I assume. And so one of my friends that's been there as long as I have, he's like 95th or 99th percentile or something like that. So I kind of look at it in a very similar way where it's like, I'm like top 95th percentile of like people that have been at the company the longest. And so it's really interesting to have that perspective and understand where like some of the history has come from. And then like be able to look at some things and be like, yeah, this isn't going to quite work out. We need to think through this a little bit more. So totally. Tell me about the hiatus. It was probably two years ago. I think at this point I started to get a little bogged down with the work I was doing and wanted a little bit of a shift up, right? I had left college, hopped into work with Indeed right out the get-go. I kind of just felt like my career reached a little bit of a stagnation point and I wanted a little bit of a shift. And so I started looking around and there was this opportunity at a small startup called Dosh who was homed out of Bee Cave, which for those who don't know, it's like 20 or 30 minutes outside Austin. Went there for about eight months and got really deep into AWS serverless, a lot of the like kind of technologies that you can use in cloud-based ecosystems and just wound up not liking the work that I was doing as much there. Uh, So they had me very close to the edge working with customers um, and with the consumer products. And it just was a big deviation from the work that I was doing before and was actually really passionate about. So I kind of took an opportunity for course recorrection, I guess. 
started interviewing around again, spoke with Google and a bunch of other different companies and had always kind of had a handout to one of my cohorts back at Indeed and had kind of an ongoing conversation with them. And after all the interviewing, I think it was like three months, I was just like, okay, I just really want to be done with this. And as far as like the options in Austin go, like while there's a whole bunch of small tech companies and small startups, it was hard to find a good match in terms of an opportunity. I'm like, I just want this to be done. I'll go back to my work. They had kind of, when I had talked to my cohort, he had pitched me working on Kubernetes and like doing some more migration work around our infrastructure. And it all sounded really appealing because it was the work that I felt like we really needed to make a shift in and, and start investing towards. It seemed impossible before I was, before I had left before. So it was a big sign to me that like things were shifting and in my mind shifting in the right direction and kind of presented a good opportunity to, for me to come back and, and get hands on with a lot of the projects that I work on today, honestly. So there's there's two questions I love to ask. And I'm gonna ask them in a different order this time. One of the questions is, what is the best piece of advice you've gotten? Stick around. We'll be right back after the break. We would not be able to support and celebrate women in tech around the world if it weren't for you. Thank you so much for being a listener and a fan of the show. To contribute and donate, simply go to womenintech.fm on the upper right-hand side and click Donate, which empowers us to continue celebrating women in tech around the world. Thank you for being a part of our journey. What is the best piece of advice that you've gotten? And I know we get a lot of advice all the time, but something that's really stuck with you throughout the years. I know for me, one of them that I love that my mom has given me is every no is one step closer to a yes. What is the best piece of advice you've gotten? Um, some of it's around like learning when enough is just enough. Mm, that's a good one. Right. Like w when you don't have to go further into the problem to actually understand like the capabilities and, and types of things that it can solve. And so that's always a really, really difficult one to get a hold of. I have a lot of engineers that struggle with, we're going to go too deep on this. And it's like, that's not, that's not what we really wanted. We just wanted a quick analysis of things. Like we don't need to like understand all the finite details of how the state machine works. Like let's step back for a minute. Do you know what that reminds me of? Sometimes when I have a lot going on, I'll overcomplicate something that's not complicated, but it will feel really complicated. And so maybe it's as simple as like logging into a website and I just can't figure figure out what my passwords are, or maybe I just don't remember something like, and then if I just calm down, I'm like, oh, it was in the drawer to my left the whole time. And so, yeah. The other really big one that I've always gotten that's really good is know when to step away from the computer. So like know when to lock the yeah. screen, get up, go out for a walk, take a breather. 100%. Right? Like, no, 100%. The nice thing about programming is it's one of those things that requires context switching to be able to kind of like let your brain take a break from it all right? Like focus on the next thing. hundred so. percent. I think self-care is so huge and something that especially is driven people we don't give enough attention to because I love your smile you have when you talk about work because we should all be that lucky to feel that way about what we do. But then the flip side is when we feel really excited by what we do, sometimes we don't allow downtime because <laughs> we're so excited by it, but then we burn ourselves out. That's a whole nother chapter of a book, but yeah. I definitely um, have 
have a workaholic streak to me. Like you can see it on my GitHub profile where it's like, you'll see the bursts of like, oh, she's actually doing something really fun this week. And then it's like, oh, no, not not anymore. So yeah, totally. My old roommate used to say, he's like, I can tell when you've worked too hard because you just kind of crash and then you're on the couch for like a week and then you go and you disappear yeah. again. <laughs> the, other, the other good thing is like, when you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life, right? So I fell in love with programming when I was really young. And to this day, it's actually one of my favorite hobbies beyond like dozen other things I do in my free time, but it's still one of the like, That's so too, cool. So. Like, uh, okay, so before I ask my other favorite question, just to give everybody, you know, support, if they wanted to become who you are today, what kind of education or book or resource should they access to start to learn on that journey to become who you are? So the fun bit about me learning programming is that at least when I was in high school, I didn't have internet. So I learned how to program without the internet. Uh, I had a visual basic book. I actually still have it. It's on my bookshelf because it's a memor like it's a memorabilia item. So yeah, it's totally. Like, that was the first book I had, first book I learned. And then yeah, I started learning HTML, CSS, JavaScript offline by like writing web pages as HTML, like raw HTML, and then like zipping them up and then giving them off to people that I was doing projects with. Yeah. What? So it was that's so cool. It, it wasn't until college that I actually got access to a lot of the online resources that a lot of other people had. And like, then I kind of just took off and, and was able to kind of like get my fingers into places that I didn't initially think so and so on and so forth. So the probably one piece of advice I would give to people when it comes to learning is there's no wrong way. Uh, you don't need a college mm. degree to be good at programming. You don't need a college degree to be able to build a product. The code camps are very undervalued. I see a lot and I work with a lot of people that have come from code camps and they still produce as much work, if not some better work than some other people. So I don't look at a lot of the background when it comes to things. I always look at like, well, can you can you code? And if you can code, you're good. And, and this more less comes down to my philosophy when it comes to like whiteboard interviews and whatnot, where it's, I'm not going to look at your resume. Like you can tell me about projects and, and we'll talk through things. But what I'm kind of more interested in is like, can you actually execute? And so many cases, yes. And other cases, not quite, but don't undervalue where your education comes from. Like I have a friend that wants to go back to school for machine learning. And my constant point to her is like, you already have the economics, you already have the undergraduate degree with like the math backing and all like go to a code camp, learn how to how to like really solidify your programming skills. And if you can find one that's designated towards machine learning, because those are out there. And she's still looking at going back to college for a master's degree in programming and or in, in machine learning. And I'm just like, by all means, go ahead. But like, I don't see it as the only avenue for education. I wish other people would know that. Yeah, especially because there's so much debt that's acquired in, in that yeah. path. Um, one one of my favorite questions to ask is what is a huge obstacle that you've successfully overcome in your career and how did you overcome it? There's so many. Uh, like there's technical challenges, there's the non-technical challenges. I think the, the on, honestly probably one of the more recent learnings that I feel like I've had that isn't really well communicated. You know, as you move up the technical IC ladder, the mentality of I want to move up the ladder, but I don't want additional meetings is 
is a logical fallacy, right? Like you, when you move up the ladder, you inevitably incur meetings because that's how you start to connect a lot of the bigger picture. And mm. it took me probably much longer than I, I really wished honestly took me to kind of acknowledge that a little bit more and see where as you move up the technical, like the technical IC side of the ladder, that there is actually overlap with some of the more uh, management style behaviors and uh, capabilities. These days, I spend probably half my time in meetings, learning about other people's systems and kind of helping them out where I can. And um, I have a selfish question that I ask is, uh, I have a personal hobby where I collect tech tools. What is your favorite tech tool? It could be mobile app, hardware, software, website. So I have 15 Raspberry Pis, like literally right here. Uh, <laughs> I turned them all off for this interview because I didn't want the Wi-Fi getting bogged down by all their communication. Um, so I use them quite a bit. And I I don't know, most people like would hear that and be like, well, what are you doing with all of that, right? And it's like, I usually just run experiments. So lately I've been playing around with uh, service topology in Kubernetes. And so each of my um, Raspberry Pis, there's three racks total. And so each of them are set up as an availability zone. And now I can now I'm able to do things like tests, communication between processes, and analyze failure modes across kind of cloud regions without paying the cost of a cloud region. So it's kind of a lot of fun in my mind. Plus, then you can like take on repurpose them. I had a desktop computer running on one for my kid a little while ago because he didn't have a computer and I wanted to make sure he had something he could interact with uh, every now and then. And so uh, I was using one for that and eventually upgraded him. But they're just so versatile. You can have a lot of fun with them. I don't want to make any assumptions. Can you share with everybody what a Raspberry Pi is? Uh, so it's a... Other than something delicious to eat. Just kidding. <laughs> I guess you would call it like a, a mini or micro computer, like small little board about the size of a credit card. And it's got, you know, full operating system, USB ports, display ports, you name it. But what they're really, I don't want to say really good at is taking them and clustering them. So you can kind of build a computer cluster with very little space. Like, like I said, each board is like the size of a credit card, right? So for me to have a five node stack, it takes up maybe eight inches by four inches on my desktop or eight inches by three inches on my desktop. So it's really not that bad. And like, you can do a lot of powerful things with them. I know people that have written things like um, Alexa assistance or like there's this home, I don't know if you're familiar with like Cass or any of that, but there's like a home assistant framework out there that you can deploy to them. Uh, and then you can have a home assistant that's not Alexa. It's like something you run at home that you can write custom skills for and all of it. And it's very pluggable and, and extensible. So there's there's all sorts of things you can do for them. And that's why I like them so much. Um, but it's not what I use them for. One last question. Have you had a mentor? And what do you think about the concept of mentorship? I've had a lot of mentors actually throughout my career, both like official and unofficial. So we have kind of like a mentoring program at Indeed where we do pair ups and like you'll get assigned somebody early in my career. I had somebody from the delivery engineer side of the world, which was a very, very big inspiration to me and my growth. Um, I had a manager shortly thereafter that was fantastic. He, he encouraged me more to stay on the technical side of the world before shifting over into management. Uh, he kind of feel he, he had kind of said um, one of the things that he was thankful for going through his career was kind of taking more time to get deep on tech before shifting into the management side. And, you know, always looking at that as a possible umbrella or, or not umbrella pendulum that you can swing back and forth from mm -hmm. is always valuable. But kind of getting that little piece of advice was really nice where it's like, I actually am really thankful for 
for where I am today because I actually feel pretty knowledgeable about a lot of different topics. And I don't think I would be this knowledgeable if I had shifted into management early on. Um, these days, the thing that I'm probably most thankful for is my current manager who's given me a lot of great feedback um, on the fly. Uh, like I said, I kind of felt like my career hit a, a stunted growth before I had left last time. And so when I had come back, it was actually one of the other things that I was thinking about was like, I didn't really want a manager that was at my level like I did before. I wanted somebody that was over my level and able to kind of give me some more career growth advice. And I've definitely gotten that from my manager. It's been great. Um, I think management is so hard. Um, what is one thing that your manager does that makes it a great work relationship? Just something that everybody could take away and even all the managers listening so that they could become better managers. I think a lot of managers have a tendency to hold on or latch onto the technical side of the world. And the downside to that is it makes it hard for them to be an effective people manager because they usually now have to have their hands both in the people side as well as the technical side. And the thing that it's taken a long time and, and it's, I think, definitely gone to a good point, at least in my organization now, is we're starting to trust and build a technical ladder and organization. And my manager just trusts me with kind of more of the technical side of it. So uh, when it comes to kind of implementation detail, he takes my opinion into consideration, involves me in a lot of conversations versus kind of the way I've seen other managers hand it, handle it, where it's usually just them and product in a room and they're coming away with technical solutions before consulting anybody that knows like more depth about the product. So it's nice to be included. And then it's also nice to have like this kind of input into an organization. Thank you so much, Maya, for sharing with the Women in Tech podcast. Is there anything else you'd like to share before we wrap up? No, but thank you so much for having me. It's been fun. Oh, this is so cool. If you all want to connect and collaborate with more extraordinary women in tech around the world, remember to go to the Women in Tech Facebook group at womenintechvip.com. That's womenintechvip.com. Takes you straight there. Say hello on social at Women in Tech Show on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. I will see you guys, talk to you guys, hear you guys in the next episode. Bye. Bye. <laughs> This is Maya Pitzrus, Principal Engineer at Indeed.com, helping people find jobs out of Austin, Texas, and you're listening to Women in Tech. Hi, this is Arlen Hamilton, author of It's About Damn Time, How to Turn Being Underestimated into Your Greatest Advantage. And you're listening to We Are LA Tech. I feel so grateful I've had the privilege of getting an advanced copy of Arlen Hamilton's new book, It's About Dan Time. She is one of the most inspiring venture capitalists I've ever come across. Her story from having absolutely nothing and being completely broke to being one of the most influential venture capitalists in the world blows my mind. And her book is insanely well-written. Right when I picked it up, I didn't want to put it down. She teaches me and us how to become the asset, how to be our best selves, and how to be a person that not only creates opportunity for ourselves, but creates an abundance of opportunity for others. I'm so proud to share her book with you, and I hope you'll pick it up. And I know for sure you'll be just as riveted as I was with each page you turned. Get It's About Damn Time at itsaboutdamntime.com.
The Women in Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Jorge Taracena. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. Community spotlight coordination by Sarah Tran. And music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The Women in Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.